0: Welcome back to the Apex Podcast, where we're inspiring growth. I'm Mia Higazi, Principal at Apex Digital, and I'm joined by Nate Smith, Co-Founder and CEO of Lever. Hey, Nate.
1: Hey, Mia. Thanks for having me today.
0: Thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on the podcast. And it's I think fitting that we're connecting virtually since most of our relationship has been during COVID where we've been uh, spending a lot of time on Zoom together. So this is quite fitting.
1: That's for sure. (laughs) It's a good thing we're all getting comfortable on Zoom.
0: Exactly. Well, I'm excited for our listeners to learn more about your background and about Lever today and would love to get started with kind of your origination story. So tell me about your background, where you're from, and, and your earliest kind of academic experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in San Diego, California, and then uh, I always wanted to be in the technology industry. So I knew I'd be in San Francisco one day, but I ended up going to school on the East Coast, uh, this new college called Olin College. Um, And I got really excited about it because it was actually a startup university. I was part of the second graduating class there, a really small school, only about 300 students at a time in total. And uh, I was really about innovation in engineering education. Uh, so actually, at the time I joined, since it was brand new, it wasn't even accredited yet. Um, but that was part of the fun. That was part of the journey. Wow.
0: That says something about your early risk profile.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I guess I've been in startups my whole life. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So how did you start your career then in, in Silicon Valley? I'd love to hear you know the early days after you graduated and how you got your start in the Valley.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the very first thing was, since so I went to a school no one had heard of at the time, uh, it was pretty hard to figure out how to join a startup. I was on the East Coast. I wanted to be on the West Coast. So I didn't necessarily have those personal connections myself. Um, I did get a couple interviews, but uh, actually found that My best opportunity uh, for me personally was, I had a good friend who was actually in our first class at Olin who ended up at Google, um, and she referred me. So that was how I got into Google, Um, and it was a really good foundational experience, I found, because I built up a network. um, And that was super helpful as I was looking to later uh, get investors and hire a team, um, really have that uh, network in the Bay Area. Um, and that's that helped me to, in turn, start my own company um, after I was at Google for about four years.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, with no real network on the West Coast, it's a pretty amazing place to land at, at Google. Um, and what projects did you work on during your four years there?
1: Yeah. So I started as a product manager, and that's what I did um, in my time at Google and at a big company a big technology company, a product management role is one of the most cross-functional roles. Um, So while I have a engineering background, what I loved about the product manager role was the fact that I could work with the engineers on technical decisions. I could work with the design team on figuring out what we wanted to build, work with marketing on launching and bringing things to market, and partnering with the executives and the other product managers to really make good decisions in terms of strategy. Uh, So that was a a really amazing experience. I worked on uh, AdWords reports within Google Analytics as my first role. And then uh, after that, the other area I was really excited about at Google was search. Uh, Found myself as the product manager for the image search team. Um, And that was an amazing role. Um, The image search team was one that uh, was kind of part of search but also it had its own uh, engineering group, its own design. Um, And it was something that I felt I could really have a huge amount of influence on. And I learned a lot through that experience.
0: Yeah, that's terrific. And I think I recall you're telling the story of getting involved in image search over dinner when we first met in person. And it was kind of a hidden gem within Google at the time. Is that right?
1: It was. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a crazy story. And things like this do happen in big companies, especially ones that are growing quickly, where um, I actually found myself strangely without a job inside of Google because I'd been assigned to work, uh, funny enough, on Google Calendar. We had this rotational program for um, our associate product managers, which is what I, I started as. and. Um, they actually ended up filling the product management role, so I was sort of without a job. It was this hilarious situation, and, um, and I kind of had to find my own job as like a 24-year-old inside of Google, a 10,000-person company. It was pretty funny, uh, but it was, the, it was one of the best things that happened in my career, and I think maybe one of the takeaways is when you find yourself in those uh, moments where there's just like a lot of ambiguity, um, that's also when there's a lot of opportunity. And I found that um, what I was able to do was really take a a very open-minded look at what were the opportunities around, what were the opportunities in front of me. Um, And so it was kind of looking for those hidden gems or like the way I thought about it was, well, what's the you know, most rare thing is, is how I spend my time. And if I can spend my time on the sort of forgotten stuff that still has a lot of impact, that's where I can really change things in a really meaningful way really fast. Um, that was what excited me about it.
0: Yeah, that's terrific. And it sounds like you had kind of that entrepreneurial spirit even within a much larger organization. And so, no surprise that you'd go on from Google to found a company, uh, which is Lever. Tell us about the path and kind of how you made that transition from having your role at Google to starting something new with Lever.
1: Yeah. So, starting Lever, I actually first started it in maybe a way that's a little atypical in silicon valley a lot of people will tell founders you should follow your passions or you should solve your own problems and you know that that's good advice for some people that can really work if you have a very clear idea for something and you just can't help but to do that thing and you you're going to die or do that thing you should do that thing that's going to be what motivates you you're going to be able to persevere and get through hard times For me, I guess I was a little bit more open-minded about it. And I thought, well, what I'd really like to do is find myself in a market that I know is going to be a really big market opportunity. Because what really is a market? A market is the thing you can't control. It's the thing bigger than you. And when we talk to investors, you'll find out that before they even think about whether you're a good founder or whether your company has good stats or whether your customers love your product, even before all that, the very first thing in every pitch deck is, what market are you serving? And so w- knowing that, I realized, well, rather than working on the thing that maybe for me is, is for whatever reason really appealing, the smarter thing to do for me is to think about, if I'm an investor, I'm thinking about what's the market. Um, as, a, as an entrepreneur, you're an investor with your time. Um, you shouldn't be starting a company if you're not willing to dedicate 10 years plus of your time to this. And your time is more precious than any amount of dollars. You can't get more of it. So you should be extra considerate of where you spend your time, has always been my philosophy. And when I looked around, I said, well, you know what, Um, there's been a lot of investment in consumer. And when I looked at those, I said, you know what, Those companies are in dominant positions and competing against them doesn't make a lot of sense. What I should do is find an industry where there's kind of one of those hidden gem opportunities like I found with image search. And what I saw was that space was business to business. It was B2B SaaS applications. Um, There's also some other pretty cool trends that have happened in the last 10 years, but for me, that was the one I knew I could build great products in that space and I knew it was a great market opportunity. And so I talked to a lot of people um, it was a long journey. It actually sounds very MBA-like. I think a lot of Silicon Valley people make fun of MBAs. It turns out business school is good. It's both a fun time. Also, you should take five business school classes. You don't really need to do the rest. Just take five courses in like some MBA program. I think it's a good use of your time. Learn accounting. Like, not a joke. It comes in useful. <laughs> I'm I'm serious.
0: You are one of the more numerate
1: CEOs. <laughs> <laughs> well thanks, Bia. But uh I think it really comes in handy. It's like good to know what revenue really is.
0: <laughs> you get a lot of
1: questions about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So um yeah, so I, I took a very numerical approach, like an investor would, and I said, Hey, um, you know, what is what are those market opportunities? And the way you find out is as they would say in Y Combinator, which we went through, um, make something people want. Uh, That's one of Y Combinator's things. It's very true. And the way you get there is you talk to customers. There's no shortcut. (laughs) The only way you get there is you talk to a lot of people and you ask a lot of questions and you you keep humble. You you realize that you don't know everything um, and that the best insights come from being really patient and really humble and empathetic and listening. Um, And if you do that, you will find that you have good ideas and those good ideas are really valuable. Um, so we talked to a lot of folks and to make a long story short, we found out that hiring was just like the most business critical problem people had. Um, it was. It, it also felt kind of new, which actually that's really important when you're building a startup, you usually are thinking about something you can quote unquote disrupt, right? That's a word we use a lot. And what is disruption? Disruption is change. It's doing things differently. and. You really only will be successful doing things differently if people need something that 's different. If people are happy with what they have disruption 's no value to them right? So you really want to find something where people want something different they 're ready for change. they already are doing things differently, and they 're just frustrated that the world hasn 't caught up with them and When we talked to people who were trying to hire, we found out that applicant tracking systems, which is the software that people use to hire. No one wanted to use them. It was crazy. It was like a $5 billion market, dozens of vendors. Every single manager who's hiring, every single manager is hiring, and every single manager you talk to would say, oh, I don't even log in. It's a waste of time. This stuff is useless. You talk to a recruiter, and they would groan. They'd be like, oh, I can't get anything done. It's useless. And you'd be like, how is this possible? There's this existing market. People spend literally billions of dollars on this software. How can this be the case? And the only thing that makes any sense is that the world changed. What people need changed. The world changed. And so they're already really dissatisfied because what they're doing doesn't really fit well to the way the software was built because the software was built 10 years before and the world is different now. Um, And that was the key aha moment where we said, wow, big market, universal need, everyone hires, everyone needs hiring software. There's lots out there, but the the satisfaction of this category is very, very low. And that was a really good signal to us is build a disruptive company in an existing market where there's a lot of dissatisfaction with the existing solutions and people are buying them anyway. That's how you know that's an opportunity to build a disruptive company.
0: And Lever today is an African tracking software platform that also has candidate relationship management functionality built in. You're serving north of 5,000 customers, that's right. including some really impressive logos like Spotify and Netflix and others. I'm curious what the original vision was and and how that's changed over the years.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because some of the things that were true when we got started are just as true as ever, and some things have changed. So back when we first started talking to folks, um, what we found out was the very first problem. This is going to be kind of surprising. It wasn't a software thing. It was actually the fact that the hiring managers who are responsible for making hiring decisions, And the recruiters did not work well together. And what we realized, kind of strange insight, was that what people needed was collaboration. They needed a tool that got out of the way It let humans be humans, build real authentic relationships with each other, and just let them do that in a natural way. So we figured out stuff like, We should use the same patterns that we use in consumer software like at mentions, you know, so that was kind of where we were back in 2012 was just get out of the way, like just let people do stuff that they want to do anyway, and help them to build good relationships with each other. And if you're building good relationships internally, also building good relationships with candidates. Um, And so that relationship thread, that's the one that stuck through the whole time. And it's still today the secret of recruiting is being really good at building relationships. If you want to build relationships with hundreds or thousands of people at scale because you're trying to recruit hundreds or thousands of people then you really need software to help with that. And we looked to marketing automation for a lot of inspiration for how we could bring those ideas to talent acquisition. So one of the things that we were first to market and delivering was this idea of candidate nurturing built right into the core hiring platform. And still today, we have the most integrated solution because it was built so early into our platform that it's just natural. And that really makes a difference because in recruiting, it's all about speed, it's a crazy competitive market, if you can do things easily, people can do it themselves. They don't have to like go to recruiters to ask them to do stuff for them. They can just log in because it just makes sense. It makes a, a huge amount of difference in being successful. If you can get back to a candidate three days before someone else, you can probably close the candidate before they do. Uh, and so that's still been very true. Is it's all about relationships. It's all about um, how do you really get out of the way, let people be people, And instead of technology making it feel like you're talking to a robot, make it so that it feels like you're having a really true authentic connection to another human.
0: Yeah, that's terrific. And we talked a little bit about relationships internally within your customers and how the hiring managers and recruiters interact and then externally uh, as the recruiters and hiring managers are interacting with the candidates. Uh, But as you think about relationships internally within Lever, you know, you worked under an amazing CEO and founders who. Help to build a culture that is often referenced as the gold standard at Google. How has that influenced how you've thought about building the culture at Lever and the relationships internally within your organization? Uh, we
1: did learn a lot from working at Google. And um, as, as many have said, uh, great artists steal. Um, so, you know, a couple of things we, we learned. Uh, we learned that ultimately autonomy is really important to creating really good quality. But one of the biggest insights we had was that we have a corporate value, which is know why. And it's partially about design thinking and, and applying design to how we build products and support and partner with our customers. It's also partially about how we can lead and empower. And when you communicate not what, but why, you can do amazing things, because what ends up happening is it really adds to the solution. If I say, here's what I think we should do, and here's why. Here's what I'm trying to solve for. The next person who's closer to the problem typically can go, oh, well, I can actually add to that solution. In fact, I see this other opportunity that we're not leveraging yet. Um, It also helps them to just better understand what I'm trying to communicate so they can really make sure we actually do what we're trying to do, not something that is slightly different. Um, So by the time it gets to the person who's really building, we can see that the solution has improved instead of degraded. Um, and, you know, that's kind of something that you can only do through culture. Um, a lot of those kind of attributes to an organization, you can't do it by giving people like a handbook with a bunch of instructions in it. You can only do it by imbuing values in the culture.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I'm a big fan of uh, the Simon Sinek uh start with why as well so i can understand how that would translate really well to managing an organization in a startup where you're moving so quickly. Absolutely. As you think about kind of some of the market dynamics over the past couple of years especially as it relates to hiring, what was the impact that covid had on lever and then also how did it impact your customers?
1: Yeah, that was a really interesting moment. Um well, it's actually an interesting series of moments i should say as we as we saw COVID's impacts over the, the last years, and COVID's not done yet. I think we're still seeing the um, the ramifications of a lot of the changes that have occurred. So, I'd say the very first thing that happened was, of course, people going, we don't know what's going to happen in huge quantity across the entire world, right? Like, so it wasn't just us, it was literally every company going, we don't know what's going to happen. And so, Uh, At Lever, the first thing we had to do, kind of coming from a founder perspective, was make sure we were prepared for any and every possibility. And one of the things we had to go through, which is a really hard thing to go through, but unfortunately um, is a reality of of running a business, is that we had to do a restructuring. Um, And it's just generally speaking something that um, because it is so difficult and disruptive, you really need to do once and not ever have to do again. Um, and you know right now we 're in the lucky situation of being really well supported um by our investors, having a business that is dramatically more efficient because we went through those hard changes, and that gives us a ton of confidence now in frankly a market that 's also uncertain, but we are able to grow in a market that 's uncertain because we had we did make the hard change when we when it was the right time to make the hard change, and that 's the benefit you see. Uh, of going all the way. Yeah,
0: I, I think that stands out too And just looking at how your business evolved through COVID. And we obviously had the chance to meet each other in the middle of COVID. I think we first connected uh, in the summer after you had made all of those tough decisions. And what I saw as an investor is a business that really had made the tough choices and then also had really thought about what they needed to do to support the customers. And so it, it was very clear are looking at lever that you all had figured out the mission criticality piece of the software offering, which is is always a question that we think through as software investors. And especially in looking at the hiring space where there are a lot of point solutions today and a lot of solutions that are really nice to have, but not necessarily need to have. And it was impressive to look at your customer base and how they stood with you throughout COVID because even if they're hiring reduced uh, in volume, they still needed the solution, the software solution to help manage it. How do you think about that? Was there any aspect of that that was surprising to you as, as you're kind of coming out of some of the depths of COVID? Or did you have confidence that customers are going to continue to need an ATS no matter what their hiring volume was?
1: We actually did have confidence that being a core platform, um, the big advantage is what you just said. It's the fact that customers know that this is a must-have, not a nice-to-have, and that while there's other types of markets you can be in or sections of a market like a point solution, like you mentioned, where sometimes the advantage is, it's a little easier to get people to onboard because it's not something that they have to switch off something else. They can just kind of add it on the side. Um, sometimes that's a positive for a business in um, in good times because it means that you can grow faster. It's easier to get people to adopt a tool that's a add on the side. The problem is that in down markets, it's also easier for them to let go of those tools. And so, that was kind of the the trade-off that we knew we were making at the very start. When we went into this market, we said, it's not going to be easy to get customers to invest in us and commit to us because they have to make us their main platform, their main system of record, but that's a big advantage as a business because on the other side of things, and all business goes in cycles, it's, it's the reality of business, recessions will happen. Um, it's really good to be in that position of having that assurance through the hard times that your customers are going to stand by you because they need you. Um, and so that, that, that I think, was something we frankly were pretty confident in. And, and I'm really glad to say that did prove itself out in reality um we saw that overall our customer retention was was really good through covid and um we're now a much stronger and 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 higher scale company um even even though the last couple of years have been challenging we've grown a ton
0: and how have you been impacted by some of the other macro trends in particular you know, we've seen the great resignation and changes in workforce dynamics as Individuals are thinking through where they want to be over the longer term, but also how they want to work with respect to working remotely or or having more flexibility with a hybrid dynamic. How does that impact your product and your customers' reception to your product?
1: It's definitely made the product more important because you know and this is true I think for every software application when people are working more remotely, which is clearly um, kind of the new world that we all live in. Uh, they do need software tools more than ever. Um, it's it's what's been enabling our economy to be so successful through um, very huge disruption to how people used to work together uh, in person. And yet we've all learned to be productive and do a really good work um, in a, a wide variety of ways now. Um, but also it is true that you need better software in order to make that work and to keep that productive. So um, it's been a huge wind in our sails, um, the, the sort of move toward more remote work. Um, our customers see more value in our software, which is really great for our ability to expand with our existing customer base. And it's brought a lot of new customers to us who were kind of make and do without something. And now they go, okay. <laughs> This is a moment. I actually need a software platform for this. I, you know, this is it. Um, so, um, it's yeah. It's been a for us. It's been a huge win in our sales, and I think a lot of uh, software vendors have seen similar um, benefit from the move to remote.
0: We have a lot of founders as listeners, and it would be great if you could share with them how they should think about the right time to start looking into talent acquisition software.
1: Absolutely. Uh, We do have a lot of uh, early stage companies who choose to use Lever, and it's something we're really proud of. We also have a lot of companies at scale that are using Lever, like you mentioned Netflix and Spotify. And one thing that um, is a huge advantage for our customers is being able to use a platform that will scale with them. Uh, When you're a busy startup, you've got a lot of things to do, and switching software is probably not something you wanna have to do. So we recommend that people get started quite early. that is something that we've noticed uh, really accelerates people's time to uh, be able to successfully build a team. And as a founder, building a team is one of the most important parts of your job. It's probably the most important part of your job and always will be. So um, building out that database of all of the different relationships that you have and that you create over time comes in so useful down the road. So the reason we really recommend um, that companies get started with a talent acquisition suite um, right from the get-go is that building that database and building that uh, record of all those relationships over time is something that's going to pay back in spades down the road.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And some of our our most interesting conversations, I think, as we were working through our investment process, we're talking about how you think about the future of the hiring market and the technology that serves it. And so I'd love for our listeners to hear some of your trend forecasting on the future of work and the future of hiring in the next 5-10 years.
1: Absolutely. So you know, we we may be already in a recession or we may be going into a recession, but the fascinating thing is that talent shortages have been so high that companies are still in this moment where maybe even if they're slowing down hiring a little bit, to be prudent, they are still desperate for talent. The reality is that companies have a huge deficit when it comes to what they need to be effective. And when they look at their biggest business risks, almost every company we speak with, whether they're an existing customer or a prospective customer, you hear the same story from every CEO, from every board member that hiring is the one goal that the company has so much trouble with meeting every single time and it's shocking it's so shocking because you just don't see that with other things you don't see that with sales goals or development goals you know people people meet their goals when it comes to those kind of things and talent acquisition has been that one thing that's just a tough nut to crack um so that's really uh, obviously an opportunity for us as an organization to help people finally break through that. Um, I would also say it is a really important thing for uh, people who are getting a business started, um, for maybe founders thinking ahead, that how you build relationships, whether it's now, you know, before you've started a company, Or uh, once you do go out on your own, how you kind of keep your network uh, activated and and really keep those relationships going is a huge portion of what you need to be uh, doing in order to be successful as an entrepreneur is recruiting. And, uh, you know, I'm not the first person to say that, um, but I will say that that has never been more true Um, that the the. War for talent is truly a war, and it is a challenge and a battle every single day. Um, And I don't think that's changing. The thing that is interesting is that companies are all getting smarter about how to build relationships. They're using tools. They're using marketing automation ideas like nurturing, um, which is something that's core to the lever platform. (laughs) They're using um, the information uh, coming from their networks. They're using referrals. They're looking at hiring internally. That's actually probably the newest thing. So hiring internally is a really interesting one. Um, Internal hiring is something that uh, great companies have always done, especially big companies. You get to 10,000 employees, of course, there's lots of job opportunities. But I'd say a lot of mid-sized companies in particular um, really miss out on a lot of opportunity there. So smaller and mid-sized companies should start early at creating career pathing for their teams, whether that's going from maybe an entry level position in sales to a a different position in sales to maybe a customer success management position. And defining those paths early is something that I think is really, really important and a good use of time for organizations when the talent market is what it is. If you can hire internally, it's dramatically cheaper, it's dramatically faster, And it's dramatically better for your culture because people see people staying. um, And if you can get folks into a new role, it's the very best thing you can do to increase the engagement of your employees.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And the relationship point resonates as I think you and I were connected by a college friend of mine who is involved as an investor in Lever. And so it's it's funny to see how relationships like that from years ago uh, can translate into not just great hires, but great investment opportunities. And so I, I wish I had a Lever equivalent of my own <laughs> personal network for sourcing. I think it would be helpful.
1: You are not the first investor to ask for that. <laughs> Maybe there's a business someone needs to start.:
0: <laughs> New product. <laughs> and how is data, in particular, influencing recruiting technology?:
1: So data and recruitment is a really interesting topic for a couple of reasons. One. Um, A lot of recruiters don't necessarily come into the field with a lot of experience from their education or their background, and they're learning how to use data to be successful. It's also something that's really powerful because so many people outside the recruiting team itself need things or want things from the talent acquisition efforts of a company. And then finally, the other point I'll make about data is that it's actually probably the most meaningful thing you can do towards something that a lot of people talk a lot about, but don't know how to tackle, which is what do you do to really make a difference when it comes to diversity and inclusion? Um, it's something that we're so happy to see more and more companies are caring about taking seriously. Um, it's something that's been a big commitment at lever for many years. Um, but ultimately, what we have seen happen is that when companies commit themselves to diversity, equity, and inclusion at the leadership layer um, that 's when real change happens and The best way that you can get the leadership of a company fully behind a goal is to provide them the data so that they can see um, ultimately what 's happening and and that is the magic so Data allows companies to really tackle some of these seemingly intractable problems in talent acquisition, whether it's um, having your recruiting team fully understand um, where their areas of opportunity are and and how well they're doing in the day-to-day, whether it's um, helping managers to get visibility into something that affects them but isn't in their direct control. And it's also the thing that allows people to make real traction on DEI. Um, So it's absolutely central to pretty much everything we do.
0: And you mentioned diversity and inclusion. This is an area where I'd love to spend a little bit more time because it's an active effort for us at Apex, both in terms of building our own team and then also as we think about folio companies helping to support their efforts there. What opportunities, in addition to really thinking about the way that companies are measuring this, what else are you seeing as opportunities for technology to improve DEI efforts?
1: So like I said, I think the very first step is to get leadership to fully support diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the best way to do that is through data. It's being able to collect that data. So one of the tools that we offer is the ability for Uh, Candidates to self-identify and that's configurable by the company how they wish to provide that and regardless of which channel they came in. So a lot of people will have that ability at the time of application, but what about those candidates that you sourced if you went out and you found them on your own or someone referred them. Do you still get the data? Are you collecting um, diversity uh, surveys in that situation as well? Um, So being able to basically connect the dots, cover all the different surface area, and then also get all the data in one place is the most critical thing um, and the good starting point. The next step that I always recommend is, um, you know, first people usually ask questions about diversity. But there's a reason that inclusion is in the word. Um, And I, I would say that most companies are better served by focusing on creating an inclusive culture before focusing on having a diverse pipeline, which is not intuitive. A lot of people say, hey, we've got a cultural problem where it's, Uh, We're out of balance in terms of our gender distribution. We have too many men, not enough women, or maybe we're out of balance in terms of our racial distribution. When you look around the room, it doesn't look like the general population of the city in which we are. Um, That that seems out of whack, Um, or the nations in which we operate. And so they say, well, let's fix that. Let's bring in more people who are better uh, representatives of kind of either our customer base, what they, their demographics or um, our local area. And then they find themselves, unfortunately, sometimes with a worse problem, which is if you bring folks from a variety of uh, diverse uh, backgrounds into an organization that isn't inclusive, the people who don't fit with that unfortunate culture, uh, end up leaving. And then you actually have a worse problem on your hands because what you see is actually a history of bringing in uh, people and then them choosing to leave, which actually digs you into the hole deeper, where people actually see evidence that it's not an inclusive culture. Um, So what we always recommend is to first start with building, um, using data to build consensus that inclusion is something that the organization cares about. It's willing to represent in its values, it's willing to represent in how it acts, and willing to do things like actual actions and say actual um, important things that um, allow those individuals at the organization to feel included and to feel like they're able to be their best selves at work and do the best work of their careers. Um, And once you create that kind of an environment, Then when you bring in diversity, you get a much more effective culture and it actually is felt as a a really kind of uh, meaningful and exciting moment to see that change. So to make this concrete, um, going back to Lever, uh, when we started, um, frankly, it was mostly men. Um, We had uh, one woman on our team of 12 people and um, our our co-founder, Sarah. And, you know, it's honestly not something that we were just focused on. I'm just going to be honest. It wasn't something that was a big focus. We were thinking about other things. Uh, I care a lot about inclusion as do our co-founders. I myself am gay. So, you know, it's certainly a different experience from, from other things, but like, I know what it's like to feel like another in my own way, that's different. Um, and you know, I'm a white man. So frankly, I don't see maybe the same discrimination. Um, but you know, I, I've, I have some empathy for what it's like. And, and I understand that my experience is different. So you know eventually we we started thinking as we were growing about the culture that we were building and a lot of culture gets built implicitly if you're not thoughtful about culture it gets built anyway (laughs) if you're thoughtful about it you can affect it but if you don't think about it it's still going to get built and we realized that that was a real risk for us as an organization to be able to how can we connect uh our, our our goal is to connect all human potential to meaningful work. How can we do that if our organization doesn't embody all humans and all their potential, that's not gonna, we're not gonna actually reach our goal. So we realized we needed to, to actually be different, um, in order to serve that. And part of that was having, um, you know, a roughly 50, 50 ratio of people identify as men and women on the team. And, um, so we got we actually got to work and and we you know even as a small company of twelve people started talking a lot about inclusion. We talked about how we would measure it um, i won't say that we do everything perfect we're still learning we're still trying, and that's part of the journey um, and so when we got to about uh forty or fifty employees was the first time we got to about fifty fifty ratio of men and women on the team and because it was this goal of ours and because it was this long journey. Um, that felt like such a major accomplishment. It was such an amazing milestone to reach as a company, um, and that's how you kind of create an engine that becomes self-sustaining. Is you you really embody it in the in the company, it becomes part of the company culture, and then it becomes self-sustaining.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think it's terrific that you made that progress, and also that you're so open about the perspective that you have, and also the challenges that there are in. Executing on this, unless you really ask the hard questions, maybe get a little bit uncomfortable and then be really dedicated to trying to make the change. That's wonderful to hear. And I think uh, a great uh, takeaway for, for folks that are listening to the podcast. And I am an avid Tim Ferriss listener, uh, and he always asks his guests, if you could take out a billboard, what would it say, Uh, either personally or from the lever perspective? So, Nate, if if you could take out a billboard, what would you put on it?
1: Uh, Boy, do people still see billboards because they're all like in their houses now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, to to answer your question seriously. I think I would actually go in the direction of just really underscoring um, how important relationships are. And so I guess the billboard would say, um, you know, building relationships is the key to building your team.
0: Nice. That's a great takeaway. Well, we will leave it there. Thank you so much, Nate, for spending time with the Apex audience today. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much. It was great to talk.